Welcome to the on-air home for the Brotherhood of Hunters. Welcome to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. Brought to you by Hunt Life. Take aim. And now, here are your hosts, Jeff Lagerman, Kevin Favor, and Kirk Waltz. And welcome to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. I'm Jeff Lagerman, and we've got a, I guess you could say a packed house. We've got uh, four people in the studio this morning, and the usual three, me, Jeff Lagerman, Kevin Favor, across the table. Morning, Kevin. Good morning. And Kirk Waltz. Morning, Kirk. Good morning, Jeff. Kevin, how are y'all? Awesome. Doing very good. And, and for those that uh, make regular visits to HuntLife.com, you know, we actually have uh, two staff biologists, one of them who we've had on in the past, Dave Edwards, who is a, uh, I guess you could say a wildlife biologist uh, and, and this is kind of part of the part of the conversation here is I want to find out how you have a destination in that in that arena because there's two on there and there's Dave Edwards who is now with Cabin Bluff and also Tall Tines Consulting. Uh, people have read him uh, Quality Whitetails magazine that comes out I guess every couple months every month now was it every month or every couple months now I, I don't remember I think it's bi monthly bi monthly bi monthly publication and then right. the, the other uh, biologist that we have on staff is Scotty Brown from Southern Sportsman Aquatics and Land Management morning Scotty good morning fellas how are you in Doing studio good. in studio nice. not via the phone line anymore yeah. live from Texas yeah he's made the long trip over to Texas just to sit in studio with us we appreciate that Scotty not quite <laughs> <laughs> he, he's back uh, you know floating around the east coast doing some work and and this Floating time, and, and <laughs> literally, the, here's the question, you know, Scotty, uh, Dave, people consider a whitetail biologist. Uh, you're a fisheries biologist. When you guys went to school to study wildlife biology, how do you have a specialty? Is, is that kind of part of the degree? Is it, you know, I've got a degree in fisheries biology and hey, he's got a degree in Wildlife biology, is there a major differentiation? Uh, some schools, they separate. <clears throat> excuse me. Some schools, they separate that. In other schools, um, it's kind of a general. I went to the University of Missouri, and it was a fish and wildlife degree. Mm-hmm. But you would kind of choose when you're taking your classes, do I want to be more fisheries-oriented or more wildlife-oriented? I got you. And then when you go get your master's or Ph.D., obviously you end up picking usually either some type of a habitat or an animal to do your master's or phd work on and uh uh, dave went to florida yes university of florida and also miss mississippi or mississippi state i believe okay and you went to missouri uh did you ever do any graduate work no no once i got out i started working started working paying the bills missouri (laughs) Missouri department of conservation hired me for uh i worked there for four months and then i got an entry-level job with uh back then it was florida uh game and fish okay and when you worked for, for Missouri Department of Fish and Wildlife, what did you do for them? Um, we actually, I worked on a, it was actually a split, which was great. Um, we had uh, hatchery ponds and a uh, like a fish management area we managed, but we also were over a, uh, it was about a 750 or 800 acre uh, wildlife management area also. So one day we would be working at the hatchery ponds, and the next day you might be mowing or 
uh, plowing, getting ready for hunting season. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. It was it was a nice. Well, it's gig. like living the dream right there. We're it, both it, best of both worlds. Yeah, it was. Except you know, it wasn't a full time job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, we want you to work for us, and we're not going to pay you much, but you're going to get a lot. You're going to have a lot of fun. So, it, so does working at Lagerman's Land kind of remind you of your job at Missouri? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> Uh, except it's 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 really non-paying. Yeah. It's, it's, it's for a right. It is, it is very low pay. <laughs> and for those uh, that we want to let everybody know, you can go to huntlife.com and read Scotty's bio in the about us section. But to, so you left the uh, um, Missouri Department of Fish and Wildlife. You come to Florida, and you work for it. Florida at that time because it's different now. It's Florida, Florida Game and Fish, right? Correct. And now it's the Florida. FWC. Yeah. Fish and Wildlife Fish, Commission. Yep, yep. Correct. And what did you do for Florida to give people a little background on you? Um, well, I was originally hired as an entry-level fish biologist. Uh, I started in Melbourne, and uh, my work was uh, started doing uh, research on catfish in the St. Johns River. Uh, there used to be a tremendous amount of uh, commercial fishing north of 46 for catfish. And then 46 sa- being a, a highway. A state road, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of down, uh, comes, comes out of Orlando and heads to the east coast. And from there north was commercial fishing, and from there south was no commercial fishing. So I did research project on uh, the catfish in those areas, and then uh, also did some largemouth bass work in the middle St. John's, just south of Lake George. Uh, and, and I'm just curious, when you say commercial fishing for for catfish, was it was it hook and line? No, they were running uh, hoop nets. Okay. Mm-hmm. Really? They, I, they, they I, don't I do that anymore, that. though, do they? I don't know. I, to be honest, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I know there used to be some big fish houses. There used to be one right there at uh, near Ashton, huh. Florida. Because, you know, you know most, of the, most of the stuff you see of catfish now, Jeff, is all, you know, farm-grown. You know, when we were in Alabama that uh, time, oh, you, know, yeah. you, you see those. Where, yeah. where we hunted. Yeah, they had yeah, yeah, big operations. Yeah, big yeah. operations. You know, you just don't ever you, – you, you don't hear very often of commercial – catfishing in natural waters right you know right. that's that's pretty interesting hmm. and then and then from i mean because you, you you had a number of positions with for the state of florida yes i did i um, started as entry level biologist and then eventually i worked my way up to uh jacksonville florida and Which i ran is where all of us met correct right. and uh ran the fisheries lab here and then eventually when they merged and turned into fwc it turned into a uh just an fwc lab and uh we uh I oversaw there was uh we had saltwater people, manatee people, whale people, and the fresh fish folks and then uh the last four years of my career i was uh I got moved down to uh West Palm Beach and I was over uh some of the work in the Everglades that the agency does, and also they were getting into this uh called minimum flows and levels, which is where they try to analyze and model what's going to happen when all these large metropolis start taking water out of which some of them are already doing but they're obviously they want more and more water uh, and one of the issues is even the st john's uh you know you take water out what's what's that going to do the environment yeah and for those people that are listening to you know, other markets that have no idea what st john's st john's river is a one of the few rivers in the country that flows from nor- from south to north in this hemisphere yeah exactly yeah, yeah. and uh uh Huge, uh, largest tidal river estuary, Flo- largest river in Florida, big river in Florida, and, and it, it's got the beginnings way south of Orlando, and it kind of forms from basically like a marsh, and then it kind of comes together as a small river, and then comes into Lake George, which is what did you say about equal in in latitude to Orlando? Uh, a little bit northeast. 
a little northeast of Orlando, and then it pretty much takes its course up to the north and then hits Jacksonville, and then with a couple S-turns, it ends up dumping in the ocean. Well, one of the unique anomalies, too, is, and correct me if I'm wrong, is a lot of the water that flows into St. John's comes out of the Florida aquifer, which is unique because of all the springs. A lot of, of clear groundwater that, that, that you don't see in a lot of rivers. Yes, there's a lot of springs. There's a lot of springs along the river, which is why the manatee is, it likes the St. John's because it can find those refuges in the, in the wintertime. So out of all your years of working as a fisheries biologist, have you ever kind of learned something and you said, wow, you know, in your time in Florida? Because, you know, I I think that you never stop learning. He learned us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Through us. Yeah. Well, I met us and he said, geez. Wow. One in a while. Yeah. I guess one of the things was, is, uh, I was, I was one of the four biologists that helped, uh, start stick marsh farm 13, nice. which was in the late eighties that will became one of the top bass fishing lakes in the country. And when, to let people know if folks, I mean, everybody in the country loves to bass fish and I've been down there and I've fished farm 13 and stick marsh. If you ever want to come to Florida and catch big bass, I mean that has to be two of the destinations that are, are a must. Yeah, it's 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 still good today. It's had its ups and downs, uh, like any fishery would, but um, it's still a high quality fishery. But uh, we uh, we started that. It was actually part of a, a wildlife management area and part um, basically radish fields for the uh, there was there's Farming. A, Felsmere Farms down there, and uh, they donated their part to the state, and then we had the wildlife management area. and We flooded it. And, uh, I mean, we were bass fishing down uh, there. How did you flood it? Uh, they, well, dikes and, dikes and levees, they, uh, the water management district installed. And, uh, so yeah. I think one of them's, uh, 1,300 acres and the other one's around 3,000 acres. Or and something. and when you say wow. they, they, they flooded them, uh, I know stick marsh, holy cow. I mean, it's, you, you can't even run an outboard, you know, on a, with a boat on oh, yeah. a plane because there's just so much. Debris. trees and right. debris and everything i mean it, it's a, it's a bass structure heaven when you go there i remember the first time i ever went there you know because you know it was a bass fisherman you're thinking okay i'm gonna fish the structure mm-hmm. and it's you everywhere. go to stick marsh and you go <laughs> it's everywhere oh boy where yeah. do i start i, I yeah. can't cast that many times yeah, where yeah. do i start <laughs> right. well i mean it, it was woods so you can imagine i mean it was you know almost two thousand acres of woods so then we put six eight feet of water on it and uh, all the treetops were still sticking out but I mean, the fish just grew phenomenal. We were, we used to call them footballs. I mean, the first four four years, four or six years of uh, of its existence. I mean, the fish were growing phenomenally. You could just catch, just unbelievable. I mean, you catch sixty bass in a couple hours. And they were all Florida strain largemouth, right? Yes. Yeah. How how do, what's the difference between you know a a bass that somebody's going to catch, let's say in Missouri, versus a bass that somebody may catch in Texas? Versus a bass somebody may catch in Florida. Are, are, how many strains of largemouth bass are there? There's several strains, but the two the two most dominant are the Florida strain and the uh, northern strain. Is that a spotted? Uh, n- no, it's just it's still largemouth bass. It's just genetically different, and Cause it, I, cause it I grows know, differently and doesn't know, look any different. I know when I fish Lake Lanier, and and then I would fish around here. I one of the things I noticed up there, they call them spotted. I was like, well, how, how do you tell? And he goes, well, look at look at the lateral line. That's a different fish, though. Is it a different fish? Yeah, there's spotted bass, and then there's largemouth bass. And then there's, you know, swanee bass, shoal bass. They all look very similar. Right. Now, the smallmouth, it looks completely different than than the rest of them. The swanee bass looks a lot like a smallmouth. 
Uh, some, yeah. yeah, but um, it also, to me, it looks more like a largemouth. Um, Swanee bass, it has a... It, yeah, I'm just talking, literally, its mouth is much smaller. Oh, it's, right, it, yeah. Its mouth yeah, is, is... It's, it's a little smaller yeah. and... Kind of uh, like a warmouth. No, it's no, no, it, no it, it, it's it's not like a warmouth. It's, it's like a largemouth. It's, yeah. it's part of the largemouth family, and uh, one of the ways you can tell those is uh, uh, its tongue is rough. A largemouth has a very smooth tongue, and a swanee bass has a rough tongue. Uh, huh. Jeff, you talked about this. Uh, <laughs> never for, felt for, the tongue on a for, for, I on never know. For, for years, you've talked about how smallmouth would pull a largemouth oh, yeah. backwards. Backwards. And, 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 yeah. and, and a swanee bass is the exact Just same like way. Smallmouth. If mm-hmm. you catch a two pound swanee bass, because I fished on a swanee river many, many, many years for right, bass. Wait, wait, before, it, you, so, before you go on here, we, yeah. we, we got listeners going swanee bass. I've never heard of that. Well, what is that? It's a it's a it's a subspecies of the largemouth, like uh, and then there's uh, that's basically in the Swanee River. Um, the Swanee River basically is formed in the Okefenokee Swamp, which is in Georgia, in Georgia, and then runs down through Georgia and then dumps into the Gulf of Mexico. Correct. Mm-hmm. And so for those people to say, well, what is a Swanee mouth? Swanee, uh, it's just river. Swanee bass. Yeah. Right. Swanee it's bass. not a Swanee River bass. It's just a Swanee bass. It's the Swanee bass. And uh, that that river is very important because uh, FWC is now trying to uh, your question originally about the uh, northern strain versus the Florida strain um, that Florida is trying to preserve the uh, Florida bass genetics. Um, Hatcheries have started creating uh, largemouth bass, they're super bass, tiger bass, gorilla bass, they're called, and that's where they actually cross a Florida bass with a northern strain bass. Uh, the reason that was developed was that Florida bass have been labeled as uh, when they're full, they're full, and sometimes in the summer they don't want to bite. So the gorilla bass, tiger bass, the cross, it um, has the growth rate of a Florida bass, but it has the appetite of a northern bass. Hmm. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. And uh, well, I hear I, the I'm music. I'm loving this because I, I, you know, all the years we've known Scotty, we've sure. never had this conversation yeah. about the, the differences in bass. Yeah, you know, across the country, and when we come back here on the Hunt Life Outdoor Show, you know, it is Hunt Life Outdoor Show, but we're going to also talk some fishing, just like we did with Kevin Van Dam and Babe Winkleman, right here on the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. You can tell a lot about a person just by looking at them. What they wear speaks volumes as to who they are and where they stand on a number of things, from their favorite team or the place they like to eat to what they really believe in. I'm Major Harding, president of Hunt Life. When you see someone wearing a Hunt Life shirt or hat, you'll know some things about them right away. You'll know they're passionate about the outdoors. You'll know they invest time and energy and funds into preserving and protecting wildlife because they care about it. You'll know that they enjoy sharing the hunting experience with everyone they can. And you'll know that, for them, hunting isn't a hobby, it's a way of life. If you're a hunter, it's time you told the world what kind of person you are. Visit HuntLife.com and browse the hunt shop for hats and shirts and decals and more. And while you're there, become a member. It's fast, easy, and absolutely free. And you'll connect with a world of people who share your feelings about hunting. Take aim with Hunt Life. America's number one camo pattern just got better. All new Breakup Infinity from Mossy Oak. Six layers of detail give it great depth of field. 12 years of research give it unequal, effective design. Together, they break up Hunter's outline like never before. Check it out in stores or online at mossyoak.com. Break up infinity for Mossy Oak. It's not a passion, it's an obsession. There was the explosion. 
And I remember just opening my eyes and it got both of my legs. I had surgery after surgery and I'm, what's going to happen next? The Wounded Warrior Project said, look brother, everything's going to be okay. Three months from now, four months from now, a year from now, you'll be fine. I don't know if I would be as well adjusted as I am now if it wasn't for them. To learn more, call 1-877-832-6997 or visit WoundedWarriorProject.org. And now, back to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. And want to welcome in our newest affiliate, WOPP in Op, Alabama, just south of Montgomery. We like uh, Alabama in a big way, especially oh, yes, in January. Do. Yeah, yeah. When their whitetail rut is we, we cranking have, up, we need to go back. Yeah, we need to make a trip back. And, you, know? you know, it's kind of hard. It's hard, you know, to to take trips like that sometimes. You know, because especially when you're leaving your own. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, your own kind of neck of the woods, yeah. comfort zone to go. You know, to another place, but. Well, it's not comfort zone. It's just that you put all of us. We put so much time and effort into our own property for for that time of year. You know, yeah. to and yeah. and 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 you know that you know you you work all summer long for for those days that you're able to hunt your own property and 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 just to to leave and go somewhere where somebody puts you in a stand. It's hard. Yeah. Well, by then you've got it way figured out. You've got the deer pattern. You know, a, a lot of the guys that maybe you hunt with are are like, eh, I'm not going out there, and you're going. I'm going. Yeah, well, you know, because you know you got to get back to work. At least for some of us, you the, know. We... The different part of that is is that it is rut. Oh yeah. You know, and and that's you know just like where where we hunt, it's it's basically over. The the deer have been hunted since September, and they're you know they're they're in the woolly book. Few and far between. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> few and far between. And then you know you you move to a different part of the country, uh, as in you go hunting in a different part of the country. And what we were experiencing in November, they're experiencing in January, which is really strange to me but yeah. it's 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 very cool all right well let's uh reintroduce our guest scotty brown he is a uh, hunt life staff biologist southern sportsman aquatics and land management and uh website southern sportsman aquatics and land.com and sky we're talking about the different strains of of largemouth bass uh so how many different strains are there in the united states numbers wise i there's, so there's that many yeah there's really the, yeah huh and what is the one you were talking about when we, just before we went to the break there about this this hybrid bass that you know you get the appetite of this one and the growth rate of this one? Yeah, um, tiger. I, yeah, tiger well, bass. It has a couple different names. Uh, it, it goes by tiger bass, and then there's gorilla bass, and now they're talking about super bass, and it's a cross between a northern uh, largemouth and a Florida strain largemouth, and uh, it has the appetite of a northern largemouth which seems to eat more frequently even when it's full it'll still bite the florida largemouth and both in the hot summers and uh, when it seems to be full it might not bite as much so it was developed for the for private lake owners that wanted something that'll grow faster uh, but it'll also you know they can catch it all year round and there won't be that lull you know that sometimes we ex- you experience in florida where uh, the fish might not be abiding as good. You know, that, that, just, that just sounds to me like the, the, the epitome of the hog in, in southeast, you know? I mean, <laughs> eats all the time, eats everything, doesn't make any difference. That's gets, from California to Florida, the big hog. Big as a pig, yeah. you know? I mean, I ought to call it the, the hog bass or yep, the pig there, bass. There's been so much talk about where the next world record largemouth bass is going to come from. Uh, for years, it was in Georgia. Yeah. Uh, 
close to Jacksonville, Georgia, which was the world record largemouth bass. And what was that one, Kevin? 20, 22 and... 22 and change? Yeah, 22 and change, yeah. You know, now everybody is is after that next world records bass, and, and everybody is, you know, every different state, of course, wants to promote, hey, you can catch the next world record bass here, mm-hmm. you know, to attract, you know, the, the tourist dollars and the fishermen's dollars. California... Uh, is a state that many people believe that 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 could be where the next world record comes from, and some and some people say Mexico. Well, they didn't they snag one in Castaic Castaic Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a record, but it, it was like twenty five pounds or something like yeah, that. Caught. Yeah. What is it? Has to be caught by mouth. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot. Yeah, you yeah. cannot like have a lure can't, and hook him in the side. Can't that, spear him. Yeah. Cast net. Or you know, <laughs> once in a while you hook them like behind the gill plate, you know, because they go to attack it and they spin, they turn on it, and you you but set the count. hook. Uh-uh. So that would actually be snagging uh-uh. it. I, I think that's exactly the, the one that they caught was on a bed, and, uh-huh. and 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 you know threw it in there, and and he thought that the fish bit it, and he and he set the hook, and he actually caught the fish and weighed it and everything, but he was fishing close to a dock, mm-hmm. and there was people on the dock that actually witnessed him catching the fish and saw that it was not hooked in the mouth. Hooked huh. in the butt. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but all these giant bass, and I'd be curious, I mean, they didn't have genetics testing back when the one in Jacksonville, Georgia, was caught. I mean, uh, Texas and uh, California, they have the Florida strain of largemouth. They've, uh-huh. they've been importing those for years. Ah. Ah, so yeah. then if it's a record, then it would be kind of the Florida bass record. It- <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. well, I didn't you know. know. I mean, it, but bass is Not bass, real. right? I mean, world yeah, record bass, right? Yeah, that, and, bass. and the record books they don't uh, differentiate those. Oh. But um, I, I would be curious to if so they could have tested the one in Jacksonville to see if it was a Florida strain or if that was a large Jacksonville, Georgia. Correct. Yeah, that, that was in the twenties, I believe. So yeah, I mean, you know, you you wouldn't think that that would be a Florida strain. I mean, you know, you just wouldn't think that yeah. somebody from from Florida would take a a, a bass up to Georgia. I mean, it, you know, like in, in our ponds, Jeff. I mean, do you think those were Florida strain? No, no. Unless you, unless you purposely purchase Florida strain. Okay, yeah. Because um, they get yeah, very big. Yeah, they're either going to be straight northerns or they're going to be some type of a cross of the northern. Florida. Yeah, that was George Perry. George Perry, that's yep. correct. What yep. was it? You got the official weight there? I'm, I'm looking at right here, and it was caught uh, November 20. Uh, wait a minute. Let me see. 1932, 22 pounds, 4 ounces. Woo! 22 pounds. That's a but big bass. In 1932. Yep. And you know what he did with that, though. I remember he growing up. He, he ate it. He yeah. ate that bad. bad I, I remember growing up <laughs> catching a five-pound bass was like, you know, it's it's time to, to call the newspaper. Yeah. yeah. But now, as far as moving them, Kevin, I wouldn't be surprised in the 30s that somebody was moving bass from Florida <laughs> because that happens all the time. Oh, sure. I mean, people, you know. Somebody came to Florida and visited and caught a real nice bass. Says, "Ooh, I want some of those in my pond." <laughs> well, yeah. well, you know what they're doing? They're importing them to Japan, and they got a, a lake in Japan called Lake Baiwa. And on July second, uh, this guy caught a twenty-two pound, four ounce largemouth. So I mean, yeah, even Japan yeah. are talking yeah. about could be a place for the new record book largemouth bass. I mean, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Isn't that wild? I mean, holy cow! You look at the bass tournament trail now, and you've got you've got guys from you know the Far East mm-hmm. that are you know. They've got bass tournaments there. I mean, sure. just, who would have thought, you know, that bass fishing would become a worldwide sport? Oh, it's and become what it has uh, become. It's multi-billion yeah. dollar industry. That's just incredible. You know, you look at look at like Kevin Van Dam, who has actually become a millionaire catching bass a couple times over. I'm sure. You and I, <laughs> yeah. Kevin, you and I could be still lucky. Yeah. You know, catching redfish. Yeah, catching redfish. Tex- Texas, though, is uh, is we've got a lot of listeners down in Texas, and obviously you guys are suffering, and you're in Texas now. Uh, outside of what Dallas, correct? 
Uh, in fact, uh, your son plays for the Allen High School, which is one of the nationally ranked high school football teams in the country. Uh, Texas, though, experiencing a tremendous amount of drought. Record. Record drought. Mm-hmm. Uh, holy cow, the lake levels are low. What is that doing to, to the fisheries there? Uh, and uh, over the long term, if the lake doesn't go dry, it actually helps. Uh, when it, you know, you get, you get that, uh, that littoral zone, which is the area where the most of your fish live, which is the area of the shallow water, and there's vegetation growing in it and stuff. Um, when that gets exposed and dries out, usually um, over the years that becomes real organic. So if you get if you get that exposed, it'll dry out. You get some upland vegetation to grow on it, and then when it refloods, that provides just oodles of habitat for all the small fish that were hatched. It's funny yeah. that, that he says that because I, I got a five-acre pond in my place in Georgia, and and yeah, I actually have a food plot on the edge. You've you've seen it, you already oh, yeah. okay? And and we had it, you know, and and it flooded, and those fish lived on that food plot. It was, it was, you know, it was a little under knee deep and you could go out there and see fish. It was unreal how many fish lived on that food plot. Well, and I remember when we had the three or four hurricanes, what was it? Five, five years ago up in, in Fargo, Georgia and the Suwannee river outrode its banks and you would go down to the edge of the woods and the, in the brim and the bass and the gars had sp- they were all up in the woods, mm-hmm. yeah. right up to the edges, and you and you walk to the edge and look down and spook like a big fish, and you go, "That's nuts." Yeah, I mean, you he's know, up in the woods eating acorns. Acorns, <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or you know, some of the juiciest bugs they've ever seen. You know, some of those millipedes that are five inches long. Like, oh, look at this bonanza here. You yeah. know, crickets yeah. and giant spiders yeah. and whatever. The fluctuate, extreme fluctuations on occasions is good. Um, uh, you want that. I mean, if it happens every. 20 or 40 years you want you actually want that um if it goes dry obviously you're gonna have to restock but um if it comes down you know uh and then refloods and to its normal levels it's actually a good thing um a lot of people don't you know obviously you don't like it um but it actually helps the aquatic ecosystem so that's that's why when you you, you know we like i said we've got listeners all around the country and then and you have the state that will do you know you know intended drawdowns of lakes that's why correct Exactly right. To get to get vegetation to grow around the banks? Get the vegetation to grow around the banks. Um, Also to uh, help dry out that that organic buildup, which is old dead vegetation, year after year it dies. I mean, that's the lake progression is, you know, it starts out as a lake, but over time it's going to eventually fill in. And it fills in with some uh, sediment washing in, but it also fills in of just hundreds of years of the vegetation. It grows, it dies, it grows, it dies. Well, that forms that muck on the bottom which we call organics and uh, when that gets exposed it'll dry it it'll help dry it up and if it's long enough it'll dry up you'll get some other plants to grow on it but when it refloods it's not mucky anymore it, why or just, just it's dried out yes and, one, yeah it dries out and then it um kind of, so you're kind of you're starting you, you're not going to have the same depth you did huh. 200 years ago but you are going to the bottom's going to be a hard bottom so this and you most fish com- you want a hard bottom so you could almost compare you know, a drawdown of a lake or, or a drought situation with a lake, setting the lake back, almost like, you know, when you talk about habitat, you know, and you're having different stages of succession or different stages of forest growth, it's very similar even with fish. Correct. A drawdown similar to uh, burning. Control burning. Mm-hmm. 
in which, you know, holy cow, in Texas, you guys have had a lot of controlled, well, uncontrolled burning. Yeah, we've had millions of acres with uncontrolled burn this year. Have you guys had the smoke? Uh, Dallas didn't get too much. Uh, we normally have a south wind, and most of the fires were east and west of Dallas. Folks, we're talking uh, fisheries biology with Mr. Scotty Brown, staff biologist here with the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. Uh, if you want to check out his website, does some private consulting, Southern Sportsman Aquatics and Land.com. And we'll be back right here with more from the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. As a hunter, we all know that perfect morning. You wake up early before the sun, you have a cup of coffee, grab some snacks, and start towards your stand. You have waited for this morning all year. The wind's perfect, the temperature's just right, and the bucks are in full rut. You sit in the dark, straining your ears for any little noise. The sun finally starts to filter through the trees, then it happens. A doe comes by you on a fast trot. You immediately clip your release to your bow because you know he is coming. You hear a loud grunt and see antlers. It's a buck, a big buck. You stand up trying not to concentrate on the antlers. Your hands are shaking. You can't control the trembling in your knees. You draw the bow back, praying the buck continues down the trail. But as big bucks do, he turns. Your heart sinks. You have a decent shot, but not one you're comfortable with. You decide to let him go. Even though you're disappointed, you can't help but think just how cool that was. The folks at Hunt Life, they know how you feel. That's why they started Hunt Life, so we can share our outdoor experiences with each other. If you know this feeling, visit HuntLife.com. Because Hunt Life knows it's all about the outdoor experience. Since the first days at Mossy Oak, we've been about getting close to critters. That's what drove us to create Original Breakup more than 12 years ago. Today we're doing it again with all new Breakup Infinity. Six layers of detail give it great depth of feel. 12 years of research give it unequaled effective design. Hey, check it out in stores or online at mossyoak.com. Breakup Infinity from Mossy Oak, America's number one camel pattern, just got better. Let fish and wildlife biologist Scotty Brown's 25 years of experience work for your property with Southern Sportsman Aquatics and Land Management. They help landowners on developing and managing properties where recreational fishing and or hunting is the priority. Their lake management services include fish population sampling, electrofishing, water analysis, vegetation establishment or reduction, lake design or renovation, and long-term management strategies for your water body's future. Southern Sportsman Aquatics and Land Management installs and repairs aeration systems, fountains, fish and game feeders, and their own design, Forever Tree Fish Attractors. They're experts in keeping small public water bodies and retention ponds in housing developments and golf courses working properly. So if you're looking to improve your property's aquatic resources, call Scotty Brown at Southern Sportsman Aquatics and Land Management at 214-383-3223. That's 214-383-3223. I've been a member of the Federation for 18 years. The Federation stands for good stewardship of the resources and preserving our hunting heritage through those efforts, I want my kids to be able to enjoy the same privilege that I have. My father joined the Federation for me, and I've done the same for my children. Jakes, women in the outdoors, and wheeling sportsmen, they want to be the best conservation organization in the world. And now, back to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. And folks, uh, don't forget to go to the Facebook page of Hunt Life, just you know, type in Google Hunt Life, Facebook, Racktoberfest. I'll call that Racktoberfest, but it's just Racktober Contest. 
<laughs> All you've got to do is submit a photo of you with a buck uh, in the month of October, and there are prizes. Uh, Academy Sports and Hunt Life, uh, pretty good little deal there. Check it out. Uh, again, once again, just search Facebook Hunt Life and get in on the Racktober Contest. And we are back with the Hunt Life Outdoor Show and our special guest. Well, first of all, we're all three here, me, Jeff, Kevin, Kirk, and then our staff biologist, Scotty Brown from Southern Sportsman Aquatics and Land Management. And uh, we're talking about different strains of white, of, uh, I'm sitting there thinking white tails. We're sitting there showing yeah. pictures well, of yeah, all our bucks in the commercial break. Yeah, we're, we're, we're sharing photos is what we're sharing. And, and that's kind of what's on all of our minds right now. I mean, Man, all over the nation. I wonder, I'm, you know. I'm wondering, you know, because we're talking about largemouth bass, but then during the commercial break, we're sitting there sharing pictures of different bucks that we've got on trail camera. Has anybody ever come up with the idea of maybe an underwater trail camera? <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> are, are people that crazy to have, hey, you know, hey, check out my, this largemouth bass I got? I wish he wouldn't have said that on the air. That is a great idea. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, but, but I mean, you, some people are that crazy about it. Man, look I at this bass so. I got. Well, you know, think about. A lot of the fishermen here now you know, are going out with the GoPro cameras, and while they're bottom fishing, they're putting you know a weight on these GoPro cameras as they're fishing and dropping them down to the bottom and taking yeah. a look. And, 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 and taking a look. Yeah. Hey, Big Bill, I took him and in, in the boys fishing about a month ago, and Big Bill took a grouper rod and put a 16 ounce lead weight on there, there you go. and rigged a harness for the GoPro and dropped it over the side at the jetties in like 30 or 40 feet of water. And actually got a fairly decent picture of the bottom. Well, Scotty, that that, that it, could be a, a new patent for uh, Southern Sportsman Aquatics Land Management, a that, uh, underwater trail camera. That's an idea. Um, they actually use them in uh, for trout assessment. There's uh, areas where they've got um, dams and structures that they've uh, re reconfigured so the trout or salmon can get by. Oh, and they've cool. actually got cameras, and they actually do a count of the fish. They try to count the fish as they go by. Uh-huh. And, uh, so I don't want that job. <laughs> yeah, that one, one, two, it, one, two. <laughs> yeah. yeah, was that one or was that two? I'm not sure. But Scotty, you know, and we're, we've talked so much about about fishing and 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 what you do. If 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 you had to go back, you know, would would you would you would you do more of of the wildlife thing and, and less of the fisheries thing, or, or or would you not change anything? I don't know. I'd probably not change anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because you, you know, you're just like us. I mean, you're, you're a whitetail hunter. I mean, that's, you know, you love to manage land also as much as you love to manage fisheries. Oh, correct. And I mean, it's, it's rewarding whether you're managing your own pond or you're managing your own uplands. It's rewarding to, uh, you know, be successful at fishing or hunting those properties. I mean, like Kevin alluded earlier, you know, if you have your own place and you're spending a lot of time there trying to make it, uh, good for either the fish or the deer, you know, you hate to leave it. You, yeah. You know, you know, we've all been invited to different places and actually, you know, kind of turn them down once in a while because we'd rather stay home and enjoy our own places, even if the deer aren't as big or the bass aren't as big. It's still, to me, it's more rewarding because you know you've, you've had a hand sure. in the development of. It. I would, I would think that, uh, you know, we talk about land and water management. I would think that that water management would be less frustrating than working the management side of things when it comes to the to upland. Because you always have water. Well, no, because, you know, when you're, for example, you're dealing with lakes and ponds, and it's it's finite. There there are boundaries. That's right. They're captured. Yeah. yeah. You've got a captured Whereas, audience. you know, for example, yeah. you know, let's say Dave Edwards is trying to work, you know, uh, our other staff biologist is trying to work, 
you know, the whitetail management on a landowner's property, uh, a lot of that's dependent upon what the people next door are doing. Whereas, you know, you were, you say you're working a landowner's, you know, 10 acre lake, you're working that 10 acre lake and the fish aren't going anywhere and they don't yeah. have any undue influences on them that you can't control. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing more discouraging than uh, your neighbor catching your 14-pound bass because he wandered over mm-hmm. there. So, yeah, yeah, that never happens. No. Yeah. Oh, it happens. Well, yeah. and, you know, I think that's that's a really valid point, Jeff. I mean, you think about it in, in reality. I mean, I've always wondered about that as a, as a wildlife biologist, and you're out there having to count somebody's deer herd, and you're going, well, I don't have a fence that's 20 feet high, so they're going to boing over a little four-foot barbed wire fence. They go wherever they want to go. Mm-hmm. Is that my deer? Or is that yeah. the neighbor's deer? Yeah. You know, versus you go into a ten-acre pond and, and you do what you do, Scotty, and you and you take the shock boat out and you lower the probes and you shock a spot and they float up and you go, okay, there's an eleven pounder right. and you weigh it and you measure it and you look at it and see it's put healthy. him back and you know he's there. Yeah. You know he's there. Yeah, Scotty. You know, again, we're we're talking water here and and there's there's millions of duck hunters, you know, around the nation also. Can, well, not, can, now can, you're talking his language. Yeah, I know. Can, can you kind of coincide the two? Can, can you know, whenever you go, if if a guy has a you know a five acre pond and he's like, look, you know, I I I, I want my fishing better here, this that and the other, but I also want to attract ducks. Can can you do that? I mean, is that? It, oh yeah, it's it's feasible. And if it's not um, at the time that we start, if it's not, you know, we've actually developed. Uh, we've got one uh, gentleman in uh, Georgia who uh, he has a 14 acre lake, and then down below the dam. He has a two-and-a-half-acre duck pond. Okay. And he literally put a canal. It's kind of a horseshoe canal around this little two acres, and he can drain it. He can get his tractor out there and plant it. And then when, um, you know, September, September he can start slowly flooding. That's awesome. What are are the preferred things to plant when when you're talking about waterfowl? Uh, Japanese millet, is that one of them? That's usually the number one choice. Um, It can tolerate water better than... uh, the other the other millets um the and if you can control the water any of the millets will work if you can't control the water you know because if it comes up uh you know too early mm-hmm. uh it the other millets will generally stop growing a lot sooner than the japanese millet will so can you can you plant that around the pond that you can't control the water in oh yeah yeah um you can um you know it depends on what the slope is i you know it like at your place where we yeah. did it it's very flat and it's just a real gradual entrance and i wouldn't do it you know if you have steep banks i wouldn't do it right then you're going to promote erosion every time sure. you go in and replant and right. plow and stuff so um but yeah at kevin's place it's very flat and gradual yeah. slope so we actually have the food plot and like you said sometimes it's, it ends up in the lake yeah it's awesome um, if the water comes up so and in boy the the, the secret to that, planning for waterfowl, is having some type of control level on lakes and yes, stuff. Yes, yes. I mean, if you're want if you a serious waterfowl hunter and you want habitat for uh, for ducks, you know, you need controlling the water is the number one. It makes it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. It's much more predictable on how, uh, how successful your plantings are going to be when you can control the water. Hmm. And you're listening to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show with me, Jeff Logman, Kevin Faber, and Kirk Waltz, and our special guest, not really special because uh, we talk to him quite often. He's Mr. Scotty Brown of Southern Sportsman Aquatics and Land Management. And uh, the link to his website is at the HuntLife.com's website if you guys want to contact Scotty and have him consult for your land and aquatics management. And we'll be back after a short break. 
As a turkey hunter, we've all been there. You're on your eighth day of hunting the same gobbler, and every morning he's made you look silly. Your kids think you've lost your mind. Your wife's beginning to wonder if you're really turkey hunting. You keep telling yourself this morning will be different. The conditions are perfect, 45 degrees, very little wind, and there is no moon. As you sit in the dark, your eyes get heavy. With your eyes closed, the whippoorwills keep you awake. And just before the sun rises, the familiar song of the cardinal catches your attention because you know it won't be long until the game begins. You've decided this morning to be quiet. Just let him gobble on the roost. Just after daybreak, he does just that. You know it's him because his gobble is way too familiar. It's all you can do not to call back. You hear him fly down, and then you hear the hen start to call. You make one soft call and get the gun ready. First you see a hen, then all you see is a swinging beard. He comes into view, and you fold him up. This morning, you guessed right. What a cool feeling. The folks at Hunt Life, they know how you feel because at Hunt Life, they know it's all about the outdoors experience. Visit them at HuntLife.com. You want to get really close to critters this fall? Then you'll have to try all-new Breakup Infinity from Mossy Oak. Six layers of detail give it great depth of feel. Twelve years of research give it unequaled effective design. Together, they represent the most dramatic, high-tech leap in the history of camo. Check it out in stores or online at mossyoak.com. Breakup Infinity from Mossy Oak, America's number one camo pattern just got better. We know the future of hunting depends on our nation's youth. But did you know that in many states, it's illegal for you to take your son or daughter hunting until the age of 12 or even older? As a result, we have fewer young hunters, and the Families of Field program is designed to eliminate those barriers. Hunting is safe. And the safest hunters afield are young people with adult mentors. Visit our website at familiesafield.org to find out how you can bring more families afield. And now, back to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. And welcome back. And uh, we're all here and our special guest, sort of, kind of, not really, Scotty Brown. He's sort special because he's uh, our staff biologist and especially because he's actually in studio with us and we talked a lot about uh, largemouth bass and and also talking a little bit about waterfowl planting and, and scotty that really kind of goes hand in hand with what you do as a fisheries biologist and uh i remember when when my pond up in at my place you know we were talking about planting japanese millet what are some other things that can be planted you know along the edges of water to really attract ducks because we you know we don't talk a ton of ducks you know here on can, the can i throw one out mm-hmm. the, the the new whistleback from from biologic. Bi- from from biologic has been phenomenal on my property this year, and it, it has the, the the millets, the sorghum, you know, it has it, it has that total mixture that and the quail, the doves, and the turkeys, guys, Loving it's it. it's unreal right now. I'm serious. There, we we came in the other day and there was 25 turkeys in it. Mm. You know, just they just love it. So and, and, the, and, the, du- and the ducks, if it's near if it's near the yeah. food plot by the pond, the ducks will eat that stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. So pretty much anything that you can plant. I mean, but I mean, there, you obviously have to have something that's somewhat tolerant of water if you're going to try to attract waterfowl. Whether you're you know controlling the water level. Or let's say somebody wants, let's say somebody has a pond and it's low, and they say, okay, let's go ahead and put some seed around the edges of it. Japanese millet, what else? Um, that's probably the one I would go with. I mean, easy. Yeah, it's easy. Um, there's companies out there that do mixtures. Uh, Mossy Oak does. Um, they have one. I can't remember the name of it right now. That's supposed to be Yeah, they've got another one besides Whistleback. They actually meant, have a it's actually waterfowl. meant for waterfowl. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times we, for any food plots, we try to tell clients, you know, do a mixture. Um, kind of that... One, it's uh, different foods. Also, usually there's like uh, different 
maturation time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you got different foods at different times. So your food plot isn't like, boom, there it is, and that's it. You want stuff that, you know, okay, in 30 days, there's some of it's ready in maybe six, mm-hmm. you know, 45 or 60 days, then something else is ready. So that way you get more bang for your buck. That goes back to the old uh, Dr. Grant Woods theme. It says, you know, don't clean the dinner plate. Mm-hmm. You know, when you plant something that's got different maturity dates, whether it's for waterfowl, turkeys, deer, something that they can eat year round. Right. And, uh, you know, that, that's the that's the key. Um, if you plant 10 acres of one species of you know food plot plant then when that matures it's going to all mature at the same time and it's probably all going to be gone at the same time that's why we plant you know on my place try to plant something that's just got a mix you mm-hmm. know that's just yeah. got a whole yeah. bunch of the, different things in it and then you know then the heck i think la- the last two years you know you i, I, I plant a, a mixture of stuff that's got oats and wheat and peas and clovers and all of a sudden you make one planting and bang it's going for nine ten months yeah those are good yeah, that's nice. Yeah, the, the blend, the blends are the way to go. And you, you know, when you're if you're going to blend your own, you got to think about how the plant grows and you know how the both the the growth rate and the the physical of the plant. So you know, if you plant a blend, you want something that matures that's short, you know, fairly quickly. And then the taller ones, they grow. You know, they're going to take longer to grow. But by the time they get mature, then your shorter ones, one, they're getting shaded out. Two, they might all be gone by then. All right, well, we're, okay. we're, we're just, just about out of time here. Just ro- one real quick question here. You know, we always talk about pH levels of soil. Is pond management, do you consider pH levels also in water? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely. Isn't that uh, amazing? Yeah. Definitely helps or um, hurts production of your fish, the pH. Well, folks, you've been listening to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show with me, Jeff Lagerman, Kevin Favor, Kirk Waltz, and our fisheries biologist, Scotty Brown. Thanks, and- Scotty. Thank you, Scotty. You're welcome, guys. I had a great time. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next week, same time, same place. Thank you for listening to the Hunt Life Outdoor Show. Be sure to check out the very latest in the Hunt Life by logging on to HuntLife.com. The Hunt Life Outdoor Show is a product of Hunt Life Productions. Copyright 2011.